All right, so today's question. Uh, over the summer, we've been uh, trying to answer some big questions that uh, you have submitted. Uh, I was tempted to put a couple of really easy questions in there, but I um, had too many questions. I didn't need to do that. So I'm looking forward to a couple of easy questions. But today's question that I'm going to try and answer from the scripture has to do with other religions and how they fit into this, this grand scheme of things that God is working. So the question, because I want to keep it pretty broad, is what about other religions? How does that change what it means to be a Christian? What does that do to us? What, what does it mean when there are so many people uh, in other countries and in this country who are belonging to different religions? Before I start, I want to say two things. First of all, I want to point out the difference between denominations and religions. I was watching an episode of The Office this week, and they're having this little meeting, and uh, very inappropriately, the boss said, hey, let's talk about what religions we are, because there may be a curse on this office. <laughs> and one girl says, well, I'm Presbyterian. And this other guy says, hey, I'm Presbyterian too. High five, same religion. <laughs> And I'm like, no, 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 you're the same denomination, right? There's a difference between denominations and religions, right? We are part of the Christian religion, and under the Christian religion, there are lots of denominations, right? Lutherans, Methodists, Baptists, right? Today, I'm not talking about the differences between denominations, although that would be another fascinating conversation, <laughs> I want to talk about the difference between religions, right? Christianity, uh, Christianity, Christianity, um, Islam, uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, and some of those other religions that are out there. So we're talking not about denominations, but we're talking about religion. The second thing that I want to say, just to set some parameters around this, is often when Christians talk about other religions, they do so in a very competitive, almost demeaning way, right? I don't want to do that. And honestly, I cringe a lot when the church gets into a discussion, um, my religion is better than your religion, right? I, I'm not saying there aren't differences that I think make Christianity unique and perhaps superior, but I think that arrogant attitude of saying my religion is better than your religion is the very thing that turns people off our religion. Does that make sense? Yes. So a couple of parameters We're talking about religion, not denominations, right? And I, I, what I want to do is, is I'm not looking to slander or put down other religions, Right? Uh, the, the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good, right? So I think our job as a Christian is not to put down other religions, but to lift up our God, right? Because Scripture says that when Jesus is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. I was in a meeting uh, a couple of years ago that was kind of paradigm shifting, and it was a meeting that I had actually convened with the school district, uh, forming like a faith-based voice into this, the, the, the school district. And so we're planning this, and I'm talking with Dr. Griffin, the superintendent. He says, you know, I, I really want a lot of pastors there, but we need to have people of other religions there as well. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Get it. Totally understand. And so we brought some uh, different people around the table. 
And the meeting starts and the superintendent is talking about how important tolerance is as a value. And he starts on this great, great speak, speech about tolerance and this rabbi pipes up and says, excuse me, I don't believe in tolerance, right? And we're like, what are you talking about? We're the ones who are trying to tolerate. You know, that's the kind of premise there, right? He says, I don't believe in tolerance. He says, I believe in love and respect. He says, we talk a lot about tolerating each other. But what would it be like if you went home and you saw your spouse and you said, hey, honey, I tolerate you, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, sometimes that's the best we can do. I get it, right? <laughs> but tolerance really isn't a value we should be shooting for either, right? It's love and respect. This rabbi has become a dear friend to me. He's in his 70s, we have coffee, and wisdom just oozes out of him. A couple of months ago during Ramadan, I went to the Islamic um, breaking of the fast, the iftar. And there was a lot that went on that I just didn't understand, a lot that didn't make sense to me, uh, a lot that kind of made me feel a little bit uncomfortable as a Christian. But there was a lot that happened in that meal that I could look at and say, hey, this is good. Learn what Ramadan is, that they're going to, to sacrifice their body from things that are important so they can focus more intently on God. That's a good thing. I don't want to stand on other religions and put them down because understanding other faiths actually strengthens us, right? You know what? Confession time, I, I went to this iftar celebration. And I'm thinking, well, what, what if I go and they try to convert me, <laughs> right? What if they go and they, and they say something that shakes my faith? But I went there and I heard about their faith and I came away and it strengthened my faith. It trusted my faith and trust in Jesus. So three things I want to talk about today. If you've got your Bible open, turn to John chapter 14. I want to talk about the premise of religion. I want to talk about the proclamation of Christianity. And then I want to talk about the promise from God. So John chapter 14, starting at verse 1, we'll go to verse seven or something. You've, you've probably heard this scripture before. It's one of those scriptures that's used by Christians to beat people who aren't Christians over the head by. <laughs> Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus says. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's house. If that were not so, I would not have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I'm going to come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas? <laughs> nope. <laughs> you're wrong, Jesus. We don't know the way. We have no idea why you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus looked at him, looked at them, and told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So here in the first couple of verses, how Jesus is talking about why 
people become religious. First thing he says is do not let your hearts be troubled. One of the first reasons that we are drawn to religion is because we're looking for an answer to this troubled world. Because we see that there are things that are happening, things that are going on, that human wisdom and ingenuity alone just cannot solve. Almost all the major religions exist to fix a problem that in our own strength we don't have an answer to. Many people say about Christianity, about other faiths, about religion. Well, your religion is just a, just a crutch. It's just something that you lean on because you're not big or bold enough to stand on your own two feet. To that criticism, I say you're exactly right. You're exactly right. God is, is someone, something that I lean on. And that's not a sign of weakness. That's a sign of reality that me in myself am not big enough or smart enough or powerful enough to fix the problems in my life, let alone the problems in the world. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. A lot of religions are birthed out of these troubling questions and these troubling needs and these troubling fears that we have. He says, believe in God and believe also in me. The premise of religion is one, there are some troubles that we need an answer to. The second thing is that we all need to believe in something. It is impossible for us not to believe in something. You know my journey to befriend some atheists. You know, atheists who claim not to believe God are some of the most religious people I know in their belief not of God. Did I say that right? Right? And like all religions, they have practices that they practice that affirms their non-belief. They're believing in a non-belief, right? You know that I'm a big soccer fan. Yes, shocker. Spoiler alert, right? We go to the soccer game, and there's 5,000 people sitting, standing opposite us for whom soccer has become their religion. We see people who are addressing a cause, and they are so bought into it, they are so militant about that cause, that that cause has become a religion for them. Jesus says, believe in me. Because you're going to believe in something, so you might as well believe in something that makes sense, that's real. I think it was St. Augustine who says we have, a, we, we have a hole in our heart that only God can fix. Our, our hearts will always be restless until they find their rest in you. All of us have this hole in our heart that can only be filled by God, and if we're not letting God filling it, We'll try to find some other religious or irreligious practice to fill it. 
Jesus knows that. He knows about the whole. So he says, believe in me. We need religion because life is troubling and we need answers that we don't have. We all believe something. And so Jesus says, believe in me. Another reason that religion is so important in our world, verse 2, is Jesus says this, there is more than enough room in my father's home. You know what he's answering here? He's talking about the afterlife. And this huge question that all of us wrestle with, especially as I Tracy and I have experienced some grief in, in our family this week. You ask questions about the afterlife, right? It, it's just a part of living in this life that we want to know about the next. Is there a next? And Jesus says, yes, there is. But let me tell you about this place. This place isn't just a place you go. This place is called home. And there is more than enough room for you in my father's home. And when he talks about home, he's talking about this place where we belong. All of us face trouble. All of us have this hole that needs religion. All of us have questions and concerns about the afterlife. You, you know, another of these big crucial questions about life is, am I alone? Am I loved? Am I cared for? Do I matter? And again, in the same verse, Jesus answers this question. Verse 3, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. You know what he's saying here? You are not alone. In fact, I, I love you so much, I'm going to come all the way from heaven to get you so that we can go there together. Later on, he says, I am with you always. The picture of heaven, the scripture paints, although it's pretty vague, there is one thing that we are certain of, and that is that the dwelling of, man, of God is with man, that we're together. Because we're not alone and God doesn't want us to be alone. The premise for religion exists because of the questions that we ask in the deepest part of our soul. I'm troubled. I can't fix this. What's the answer? I believe in something, but I'm not sure what it is I believe in. What does the afterlife look like? Am I alone? Right in the first two verses, Jesus brilliantly outlines and answers those questions before he gets ready to drop this incredibly powerful and, if it is incorrect, incredibly arrogant statement about what it means to know him. But first, Jesus does this cool little teaching technique that any educators know how to do. He says, and you know where we're going, right? You know how to get there. And by asking that question, he's drawing them into an answer so that they will understand what he's saying. He's preparing them for the next statement, right? And Thomas pipes up. <laughs> 
And Jesus is probably uh, thrilled that Thomas pipes up because he knows he's going to get some honesty from Thomas. And Thomas says, uh, Jesus, uh, just to pause you right there, you say that we know. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm a little lost right now. <laughs> uh, he, he, he says, um, no, we, we, we don't know. We've got no idea where you are going. So how can we know the way? You know, Thomas, known as the doubter, and he gets a bad rap because he's a doubter. But man, I would rather have a group full of honest doubters than sincere pretenders, right? I, I was talking to someone the other day, a, 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 a buddy, one of, my, one of my players, and he's a kind of recovering Catholic, but he's kind of recovering from his, some of his Catholic hurt away from the church. And he said, um, he said well, you, you believe all this 100%, don't you? I said, well, pr pretty much, but I have, I, I, have, I have some doubts, some healthy doubts. And he said, said so what, what, are, what are you talking about, healthy doubts? I said, I said, yeah, it's not unhealthy to doubt. It's honest to doubt. If we don't have any doubts, we don't need faith. And it's faith that allows us to get to know God, right? So I just want to give a positive shout out to Thomas and just to say, if... <laughs> If you're doubting in your religion, that's okay. That does not make you a bad Christian. That actually puts you on a track to being a great Christian because that gives lots of opportunity for faith, right? The premise, we've got questions that can't be answered. Jesus says, hey, you know where we're going. Thomas like, ah, no, not, not me, I'm not sure. But then Jesus answers with this statement that if it's not true, it's arrogant. And honestly, a lot of people in the world hear this and they say, how arrogant can you be? This is the statement. Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in this statement is the proclamation of what it means to be a Christian. The premise that Jesus establishes is that we all need to know God. Here, he tells us how we do it. He says, you got to understand that I am the way and the truth and the life. Really, really arrogant statements if they're not true. First of all, he says, I am the way. Every religion offers a way to God. That's what religion is all about, helping people to find God. The Hindus, they say the way to find God is by doing the best you can, by trying to be good enough, by, by letting your good works rise up so that in the next life, you can come back as something better. And then through that life, you do good and come back as something better and better and better until you become godlike. That's their way to get to God. In Buddhism, they say the way to get to God is through personal enlightenment, right? 
That we need to put ourselves in states where we push out the world so much that we become one with God. Again, there are all kinds of opportunities that they create to do that. Islam says you get to God by following all the religious duty, all the the religious laws and rules that are outlined in the Quran. You got to do this and this and this. I went to this iftar uh, I told you about, and it was a fascinating event. And uh, during Ramadan, they fast from sunrise to sundown. In In the summer, that's a long time, right? That's a good 15 hours or so without any food or drink. I said, man, that's really tough. How do you do it? He says, well, you know, there's this little thing that we've, we, we've, we've kind of built in that if you need a break, you can eat something or drink something, but you have to pay a little bit to the, to the, to, to, to the, to, to the mosque to kind of give yourself a break. Because it's all about following the religious laws, and if you can't follow them, then you compensate, so you're staying in good standing. Christianity says that there is a different way. And in a nutshell, Christianity says it's not about what you can do to please God and to reach God. It's about what God has done to reach down to you. James, can you put that little little, little diagram up? So, so you have Hindu, Hinduism, right? This is, hey, if I'm good enough, I can reach God. I can climb the ladder to God. You, you have Buddhism that says, if I can just enlighten myself enough, I'm going to get to know God. You have Islam that says, if I can do enough religious practice, I'm going to get towards God. And all the arrows are going up because it's dependent upon us and what we do, right? That's the way that they get to, to, to God. Christianity and Jesus, when he says, I am the way, it's not about us climbing the ladder. It's about God coming down the ladder to meet us right? It is by grace that we've been saved. What grace means, the way of Christianity is not climbing up this ladder to try and please God, to try and impress God. It's God climbing down the ladder because he loves you. When Jesus says, I am the way, that makes sense. Because the reality is, I know myself so well that I cannot be good enough, I cannot be focused enough, and I cannot be religious enough. If it is dependent on me to find my way to God, I'm in trouble. I'm really in trouble. So God says, hey, I love my people so much. I'm not going to make them claim to see me. I'm going to come down to see them. And so when Jesus says, I am the way, he's coming down from heaven. Does that make sense? Jesus says, I am the way. I'm tripping over everything today. For for me, I'd be a horrible Hindu or a Buddhist or Muslim because I'm just not good enough. I just do too much wrong. I just make too many mistakes. I get distracted too often. Our picture of God is the one who loves us so much in relationship that he doesn't sit there and say, hey, please me. 
He comes down and says, hey, I forgive you. I love you. Jesus says, I am the way. He says, I am the truth. I am the truth. That's another big, bold statement, right? And it's not a very popular statement today because truth has moved away from something um, objective and it's become something subjected. You know, religions create lots of different truths. But so often those truths that they create oppose each other. This guy that I was talking to this week, he said, well, you know, I've tried a, a little bit of this, this, this kind of yoga, this Eastern yoga stuff. You, you know, and I get these little, um, these, these daily updates from Joel Osteen. And, and I get this other thing. And it's almost like he was trying to patch together his own religion. And so I said to him, man, I celebrate your, your step forward and your, your desire to want to know God. But if you keep walking down those steps too far, you're going to become very conflicted because all of those paths are taking you in different directions. He was trying to create his own truth. And when we start to create our own truth, truth becomes relative, not absolute. You know, people say, it's arrogant to say that the truth of God is absolute. It's arrogant to say there's an absolute truth. I challenge that. I think it's actually very arrogant to say that truth is relative. Because when you say, my truth is the real way, who's at the center of that? When we say, hey, we, we serve a truth that's bigger than us, we're not at the center of it. We're saying, we're saying God's in charge. To, to say, I've got the corner on truth, that's an incredibly arrogant statement. To say there's an absolute truth and I'm not it, for me, that sure sounds like a statement of humility. And so Jesus says, I am the truth. And he's not saying, hey, look at, look at me, I'm awesome. He's saying, look at my father. Look, look at your story. Look at these truths. They make sense. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he says. Again, all religions offer a different way of living. Some religions are found in discipline. Some in looseness, some in pleasure, some in somberness. Some promote wealth, some embrace poverty. Some are completely selfish, some are selfless. But Jesus says, I am the life. What he's saying to us is that he has something different and bigger and better for us. In John 10, 10, Jesus says, I have come that you can have life and life in its fullness. Again, this fascinating conversation I'm having with this guy. We talked through the scripture. We talked in ways that I'm not sure I could keep up because I wasn't smart enough. 
But the real proof of Christianity I shared with him and I would share with everyone is that it works. Is that it changes my life. I was that and now I'm this. I get to experience a peace in my life that I didn't have before. I get to experience a purpose in my life that I didn't have before. Life works when I submit my life to Jesus' life. The premise, we got all kinds of questions. But then there's this proclamation from Jesus that says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. That's an arrogant statement unless you're right. And I believe that Jesus was right on the money when he said those three things. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He says, no one gets to the Father except through me. A lot of people say, oh, but there are other ways to know God. You know, you can try and climb here and meet God. You can try and climb here and meet God. You can try and climb here and meet God. And you know what? There's a lot of great things that happen on the climb. A lot of things that we learn. But Jesus says no one comes to the Father except through me. Why? Because we just can't climb high enough, but we serve a God in Jesus who came down to us. That's a statement of exclusivity. Christianity is an exclusive faith. We believe that there is no other way to get to God except through Jesus. It's an exclusive truth. But when we hear the word exclusive, we kind of bristle a little bit, right? Let me share with you a quote from Tim Keller. We're going to put it on the board because it's so good. He says, the gospel is an exclusive truth, but it's the most inclusive, exclusive truth in the world. Right? That makes sense? This is a truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Hang on a sec. I just saw a team to take a picture. <laughs> right? It's, it's an exclusive truth, but it's an exclusive truth that is open to all, right? There is great inclusion in this powerful truth that no one comes to the Father except through me. Let me wrap up. We've talked about the premise for religion. Jesus talks about the needs of our heart and our mind. And Jesus makes his proclamation, I am the way and the truth and the life. But the final thing that needs to be said as we discuss this issue is that God offers us a promise as well. He doesn't just leave us on our own to figure it out. He doesn't give us the steps to try and climb up to God. He comes down from heaven to earth in the form of a man. He lives a life of brilliance and perfection. And we don't get it and we don't get him and we think he's a problem and so we crucify him. But that was all a part of the stepping down from heaven out of love. 
And as he hangs on that cross and he sees all the things that we've done wrong, including putting him on that cross, he says, Father, forgive. They don't know what they're doing. And he forgives us. And that that need to be forgiven was the final thing that stood in the way of us knowing God. And he takes care of that. And three days later, he rises again. And he says that the worst of your enemies is powerless because nothing is going to stop me being in relationship with you. You know, we have this need for religion. We've we've spoken about that. But what Jesus is promoting here is not a way to satisfy our religious needs. He says, you satisfy those by entering into relationship with me. And that's possible through the cross. A few years later, after that resurrection, a guy called Paul, who was as evil as perhaps the world has seen, who was culpable of Jesus' death, gets to meet this Jesus, and his life is flipped around. And he understands that even though he's been trying his whole life to climb this ladder to God, he just can't climb high enough, but that, that God has climbed down the ladder to meet us. He says, this is how you enter into a relationship with God. He says, it's really, really simple. He says, if you believe in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead, and if you confess with your mouth, then you will be saved. That's all we have to do to have this religious whole satisfied. That's all we have to do to start following this way, to start believing this truth, to start living this life. Because it's not about us climbing up. It's about a God who climbed down, right? So all you got to do is believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth. And then you will be saved. Then you can know God. Then you can find the way and discover the truth and live the life. So what about other religions? God bless them. (laughs) But let us not continue to lift up the brilliance and the eminence and the sovereignty of Jesus. The God who says, I see you have a need and I can meet it. The God who says, follow me, I'll show you the way, I'll tell you the truth, I'll let you live the life. I want to wrap up just by sharing and closing with those words of Paul from Romans 10.9. If you believe in your heart, and if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. That's all it takes to start a relationship with God from which we can live the truth and the way and the life. So the challenge that I give to you is just two things around this issue. 
Are you believing in your heart that Jesus is Lord? Are you confessing with your mouth that he's Lord? When we do that, this need for religion, this need to know God is settled because we can in Christ. Amen?